Every time he every time he created something, he said, and it's good. Every time he said, it is good. And then a little bit further, he tells Adam, he says, You're in charge of everything. And he tells him to start naming the animals and, and to care for his garden as God's watching this. He says something that's kind of interesting in chapter 2 and verse 18. He says, it's not good. It's the only time he says that in creation. And what he's saying is, it's not good that man is alone. So he gives Adam a helper, Eve. He says, you know, Adam needs somebody. Now, I mean, when I think about this, I picture Adam in the garden walking with God. What could be more... I can't think of anything greater than to be in this paradise with God. But God said that God created us as physical beings. And God knows that we need each other. We need somebody else there with us physically. So God says, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you a mate. A help mate is what it says. And so he creates Eve. And that that physical need we have as humans is important. God has placed that there with us. You know, like I said, I picture that scene with God walking in the garden. I mean, it's been cool today that God would walk along. I mean, I can't even begin to think what that's going to be like. Because it's going to happen again. There will be a time. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And they did it. But then, sin. Sin happened. And when sin came into the world, it separated us. It made it to where we couldn't have that close walk, that close communion with God. God couldn't look on sin. A holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so, God looks at this and he says, well, there's something we could have done. He could have just destroyed us and left us to it. They'd been right to do so, but he didn't. He said, for the rest of the story, starting in Genesis all the way through the Bible, the rest of the story is God's redemptive plan for man. God now is going to take that sin that man brought into this world, and he's going to create a way for us to come back to him. He's done it, not us. And part of that creation, he creates the church. This body of believers. We call it the body. We call it uh, the, the elect, the bride of Christ. The whole point being is, is a, all of us as a group of believers together in unity. And that's part of his plan of bringing us back in that communion with him again. So if you look at verses 19 and 20, uh, 19 through 22. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So once sin entered, we couldn't do that anymore. We couldn't enter. We couldn't draw near to God. So God says, well... To correct that, sin creates death. And so to create, to, to correct that, there had to be death. 
So God sets into motion the sacrificial system. That we would sacrifice bulls and goats and sheep and birds as a sin offering. And this offering, this blood of the sacrifices would kind of just cover that sin. It didn't make it go away. It was still there. But it would cover it. Now we we could come before God. But it wasn't like we know it now. We couldn't just come to Him. So you would take this sacrifice and you had to do it at the altar, at the temple, with the priest. So you'd take this offering to the priest, you and a couple hundred thousand of your best friends would be doing the same thing. And this priest, who was also son, would offer this sacrifice on his altar for your sin. Now, he'd have to go off one for himself as well because he was a sinner. And that was as close as you got to God. And even the priest couldn't just go before God. He couldn't go into the Holy Holies. There was, you know, only the high priest once a year and after a specific and drawn out ceremony of cleansing could go into the Holy Holies. And even then, there was a fear. Because if there was sin that wasn't atoned for, God struck him dead. And so, you know, God's provided a way, but it wasn't the, the best way yet. So in verse 19, it says, He gave us the shed blood of His Son, Jesus. And you see the way this worked was, Jesus came, his God, he came full man. And he came and he was the perfect sacrifice. He lived a life without sin. But there's two things here. Not only did he, through his life, make it to where he could be that perfect sacrifice, but he also, in words of sitting out, he becomes the high priest. Not only is he able to be the uh, perfect sacrifice, but as verse 21 says, he gets to be the great priest over the house of God now. So he fulfilled both roles. So how do we know that this is important? We know it's important because God gave his son and sacrificed his son to be that blood offering that would allow us to come before him. The difference between this blood and the blood of a goat or a, a bull is this didn't just hide the sin. It washed it. God said, as far as the east is from the west, I'll remember your sin no more. Amen. God doesn't see our sin. He sees his son. He sees the blood of his son. Now, we're in a position where we can come to him, come before God, and knowing the importance that, 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 that God, this is so important that God sacrificed His Son, I can have a confidence when I walk in here and I can come before God and I know that He will not only let me, He'll hear me and He's going to care for me. These sacrifices, like I said, you and several thousand, your closest friends are doing the same thing when you come up to these. Talk and sacrifices, and I, 
my mind, I pictured the scene. Uh, some people coming up and they're sad, they're distraught, they're thinking to themselves, man, I blew it. I sure hope, I sure hope this bowl covers it. Because, you know, God really ought to just start me down. Then I picture somebody else over here that's maybe got this long tunnel though, that's excited. He said, man, let me tell you what God did for me. So I'm bringing this sacrifice as a thanksgiving, you know. And so you see this whole scene going on. And it's everybody together coming in to offer their, their sacrifices. It's not done privately. It was done in the open out there for everybody to be a part of together. And when Christ was offered as a sacrifice at Calvary, it wasn't done in secret. It was done out in the open, and it was done publicly, and it was done brutally for everybody to see. So when we look at that, and we see you know, in verse 19 there, uh, you have this confidence to enter in. That's where it comes from. That's where that confidence comes from, is because we know how important this was to God. And if it's important to God, I think I can make bank by it. Verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Ever notice no matter what God does or what he tells us to do or how we do it, it always comes down to how is our heart. Where's your heart at when you do it? Because God's opened the way. He's opened the door. He's made it possible for us to come in. There's a lot of people out there that believe that. You look at the Bible and God says even the demons believe. They know. But where's their heart? So it's all about your hearts. How, 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 where am I at here when I come before God? Hosea 6, 6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It never was about how many bulls or goats or anything else you could bring. God wanted you. Amen. And that's why the heart's important. Because if your heart's not right, nothing else is going to work. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We know that is the greatest commandment. Because if that's where your heart is, then your heart is right. When you come before God. And if we come before God with a right heart and with confidence, now we're, now we're doing This cleansing that God has given us by the blood of His Son, and that confidence that we gain knowing this, is where our faith comes from. And faith means I know I can come before Him because I'm a mess. I've made a mess of things, and I don't have to worry about is my sacrifice good enough. Because my faith that I have in him and his son is that his sacrifice is good, not mine. His sacrifice covers 
faithfulness of God is where we hang all of our hope on. Because it also says to hold fast to that hope. And if we don't have that faith, we don't have any hope. Without God, there's nothing. How do you know that? You look at that and say, God is faithful. How do I know that? How do I know God is faithful? Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. <laughs> has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? See, God said, go back to the garden, go back to when he left, when he went out of the evening, he moved him out of the garden. God said, well, he, he told him, I'm going to provide a way. So when God says something, he does it. And you can have faith in what God says. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ. So again, God's called you. He's called me. Anybody that is a believer in God, in Jesus Christ, has been called by him into a group, into a fellowship. 
Fellowship in the context of this means as a group, a group of believers. You know, everybody's seen the show, uh, was it, that Fellowship in the Rings. No Bilbo, even in a world of hurt, that Fellowship had been him by himself. So, Fellowship ain't singular, it's plural. It means all of us together as a group. Verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing in. So God has a group. God has told us, I've called you out. He's called each one of us singularly, individually. But he's also called us as a group of believers. And he wants us to come together as a group. Because again, it goes back to that physical need. That every human needs physical contact. And we need each other. And I can tell you right now, I, I spent a lot of time during the day texting Jeff or calling him and I go back and forth. And that means the world to me. Because there's times that I'll be struggling. I need somebody going, hey, it ain't that bad. Or yeah, you blew it, but you'll get over it. <laughs> you know, uh, we need that from each other. And when you look at when you look at God's word here, He says to stir one another up, to stir one another up, to, to to stir one another to love and good works. So we're to push each other, we're to prod each other, we're to help each other go further than we would ever go by ourselves. Amen. God uses you to strengthen me. He's going to use me to strengthen you. And together, we'll strengthen one another. <coughs> Throughout Acts, you know, Justin, uh, really breaking the book of Acts now with the birth of the early church. And throughout Acts, it is a, you see them constantly meeting together. Now, they may not have met in groups of hundreds or thousands. I don't know. I mean, in some cases they did. But a lot of times it was little groups. But it was that constant meeting together in groups that they strengthened themselves and that God did his work through. And you look at how the church grew. It says that, it says that God added to his church daily. God had not we. So it's that, that coming together, that unity as a body of believers coming together is where God's power is manifested, it's seen, and it's, it's out there for all to see. And Paul, I mean, you look at Paul when he travels, what was the first thing he did? The very first thing Paul did as he travels, going to a new city, first thing he did, go to the synagogue. He's looking for like-minded believers. He wanted, he needed to be with people that believed as he believed. And then, you know, by the time it didn't work out so well, they go next door. And he find some more. Then he didn't find believers there. But he always sought out believers to work with. And God always provided somebody to come alongside of him that was a like-minded believer to help him to share in the work, to share in the love. God never intended for us to do this alone. And so when it says, you know, 
don't uh, disregard the other. We need each other. We need to come together. And Sunday morning, when we come in here together and everybody see the different conversations that are going on, um, we need them. I look forward to that. You know, um, if I go miss a, miss a Sunday, I miss the conversations that I have. It's just something about, maybe nobody says anything profound and changes anything for me, but it's that contact, it's that sharing, it's that coming together. It means something to me. It does something for me for my week. First Corinthians 13, 2 through 3 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, I have nothing. I have not love, I gain nothing. If I won't, I have this inside of me, that I have this knowledge of God, I have this faith. I have this boldness in here. If I'm not willing to share that with you, God love you. Am I doing what God has called me to do? See, we saw the first commandment, we call the greatest commandment, thou shalt love the God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind. So then he said the other one is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, on this, all the, all the laws and the prophets hinge. And if you fulfill those, you fulfill all the commandments. So if I'm not willing to come together with my brothers and my sisters, and I show them love to them, I'm not. Because in a sense, I'm saying I don't care about you. And it's not what God called me to do. God called me to grow in Him. God called me to share with others what he has revealed to me and the same for you. And we build each other up, we strengthen each other, we're there for each other when we're down, and we share with each other in the joys. That's the way God intended. That's, that's that body, that united body that God has called us to be. <coughs> and in the very last part he says, uh, especially so when you see that day come. Capital B. And that day is the day of the Lord when Christ will return. And he's gone. He's coming. And as that day gets closer, things around us are going to get rough. Satan's kicking. He's kicking and screaming and scratching. It's a bar and brawl. <laughs> You know, he, he don't want to go. He knows how it's going to end, and he don't want to go. And so he's going to make it as hard on us as he possibly can as that day comes. And if you're out there by yourself, trying to do it alone, it's really going to be rough. And it's in our unity, in our togetherness, that we can strengthen one another, and we can help each other to get through this. And that's what God has, has in store for us as believers. So when he says, don't forsake the gathering, it's not like you have to do this or else. It's that you need this. I need this. Yes. And we all need it. Amen. Amen. So as we 
Somebody else. There's going to be times where both of those are going to happen. You're not going to know it. 